fairly early in my practice, I heard Gil say something like, well, this is now a quote from his book, The Issue at Hand, so this is, this is what he says in his book, that our practice, as we continue to practice, we have a learning, we, um, we grow in the learning that the present moment is trustable if we're present for it. And I think for me, and maybe for, for many of us, the present moment, you know, that may not be quite our experience that the present moment is trustable. What does it mean? What does it mean to come to that understanding? What does it mean to come to that sense that the present moment is trustable when we're present for it? It's kind of an evolution of trust in our practice. Because certainly, at least initially, it it certainly doesn't feel like anger is trustable. Confusion doesn't feel trustable. And again, the statement is, the present moment is trustable if we're present for it. So the arising of anger is trustable if we have wise mindfulness. The wise mindfulness carries the trust. It's not the anger that's trustable. It's not the confusion that's trustable. And yet this is a process, an evolving process of um, coming to understand trust more and more deeply in our practice. Coming to trust more and more deeply in our practice. We've talked about trust a lot over the course of the weeks here in little bits and pieces. Today, I'd like to explore it in a little bit more of a piece. What is this evolution of trust? It feels like at some level, you know, sometimes we might, we might hear there's a teaching on the five faculties, five qualities that come together to um, Said also says that the five qualities that come together to make up the meditating mind, but they're also understood as a, a kind of a sequential growth of qualities in our mind. And the first one is, is sada, confidence. Sometimes translated as faith, sometimes translated as confidence, sometimes translated as trust. And so trust is kind of, in a, su- in a sense, where the practice begins. We have to have some kind of trust in something. And the, the five faculties, when we have a sense of trust, we engage. The next faculty is energy. We start engaging with the practice. The next faculty is mindfulness. We engage with 
mindfulness. The next faculty is concentration. Energy and mindfulness together create the continuity which leads to concentration. And the next faculty is wisdom. And all of these uh, together with the perspective of wise view, which is what we've trusted in to get here, results in the, uh, the understanding, the deepening understanding of the view that we've perhaps adopted. And so it may seem, it's sometimes like, well, trust is like the beginning and do I, I mean, is this something I, I need to reflect on or work on or think about how it impacts my practice? And what it feels like sometimes is the, that there's a, a kind of a deepening cycle around these five faculties, that they, that, that those, those qualities, it's like that sense of confidence or trust in the teachings leads us to engage, leads us to the cultivation of mindfulness and concentration, which opens us to wisdom. And that wisdom then further reinforces or deepens the trust. Instead of it being adopted or instead of it being something that we're just taking on faith, we begin to have a direct experience that confirms something. And that deepens our sense of trust, encouraging us to engage more fully, deepen in the mindfulness and concentration and more wisdom unfolds and it just spirals in this deepening kind of weaving. For me, it feels like a weaving between wisdom and trust, wisdom and trust wisdom and trust. And so where we begin with trust is very much first I think with the reflection it may be helpful to start with a reflection on where we habitually what is it that we trust? Where do we habitually trust? What, What do we um, think will be reliable in our lives. This is where we place trust. Where do we place our hearts? We often habitually place our trust in things outside of us, things, things, relationships, job, money, house. We sometimes place our trust in our feelings. trusting or feeling like it's, it may not be what we say to ourselves but 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 the the reality is that when we are acting out of some uh, reactive emotion 
we are trusting the kind of belief of that reactive emotion that this is what this is where happiness will come or this is what needs to happen where we've talked about the delusion in the reactive emotions that the belief that in aversion getting rid of this thing will make me happy the belief in greed that having this will make me happy and so when we're acting from those react reactive emotions, when we're acting from kalesas, we're essentially placing our trust in that, in the belief that, yes, this will make me happy. And so might be interesting to reflect on and explore, which we have been doing here, are the places where we usually place our trust, are they really trustable? And this, I think, points to kind of back to this question at the beginning. You know, we learn that the present moment is trustable when we are present for it. But perhaps we begin to learn that when our mind is acting from when our mind is acting from reactivity, it is not very trustable. The trustability seems to grow as we find our way towards being aware of that reactivity rather than acting from it. We've talked about this shift. The kalesa, the defilement no longer is a defilement when it's known. It's no longer staining the mind. It's simply another experience. And this begins to help us to uh, find the trustability of the moment when anything is arising. And so the the start of, of the practice, where we have to begin, I think, where we have to begin is hearing something. We have to begin by hearing something of the teachings, some of the wisdom. And with that, we may be uh, interested and inclined to engage. Finding ourselves caught in struggle and suffering, hearing a teaching, hearing, hearing someone say, hey, this has been really helpful. There's been a lot of transformation around my own suffering by doing this that may spark a little bit of sense of, well, I don't quite see how it's going to work. This was a definitely not clear in my mind how it would possibly help to be aware of anger while I was angry. Could not fathom how that would help. 
but I had enough trust in the person who suggested I read this book and enough trust in what I read and actually partly the sense was nothing else has worked, I might as well give this a try. So just a little bit of that sense of willingness. We start to be willing to engage. And that's the beginning. That's the beginning of actual trust arising. It's not. It's no longer just something borrowed because we start to actually engage, to want to engage. Even at that level, even at that level of willingness, that's a form of trust. And as we go through the, the, the cycles of our practice, you're all, you know, essentially way beyond this stage of the very beginnings. I mean, here you are on a two-week retreat. There's a lot of trust. You have a lot of trust to even be here. And yet our mind gets caught. Our minds get confused. And um, in the midst even of you know, some kalesa, we have the sense of doubt arise of, like, why am I doing this? What good is this? And just simply noticing that as, as doubt and checking in, is there willingness to continue? That willingness, that willingness, connect with that as a form of trust. It's just... That's all we really need at times. Sometimes we do need to draw on it. Just that willingness. With that willingness, with the engagement, the cultivation of mindfulness, the, the understanding of the tools, we, we start to have some more direct experiences of essentially the trustability of the teaching. This, these direct experiences are, are forms of wisdom arising. We talked about this just little shifts, little recognitions of, oh, this is just anger arising in the present moment. A form of wisdom. Or recognition of how something is conditioned. Seeing it, it's not so personal. Somebody, somebody today said something like, if it's not me, I don't have to be responsible for it. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, that recognition of the conditioned nature of our experience. You might see even a stronger wisdom arising of kind of seeing the beginning of something, seeing seeing a pattern just in its formation, and mindfulness is right there, and it's just like the pattern just vanishes. Because wisdom, not because of what we did, 
but because wisdom was strong, wisdom was present. So I think this is a key about trust. This is kind of a key about trust. We learn, and initially we have to put some trust in our own personal effort. We put some trust in our own understanding of the teachings. But over time, what we begin to offer our trust over to more and more is wisdom. This, I think, shifts, shifts the trust. It shifts the trust from being perhaps more what we'd think of as faith. For myself, the word faith was kind of a hard word. I don't, I don't resonate with that word so much um, because my associations with the word had to do with being told to believe something that I couldn't know was true. And initially we do have to take on faith that the teachings are useful, that the practices are useful, but it actually doesn't take very long before we get some verified sense of the, the usefulness, the value of the practice, the value of mindfulness and definitely the value of wisdom. We see that so directly. And there the, the faith moves from something we're taking on faith, a borrowed, we sometimes talked about borrowed wisdom, that's kind of that sense of, of uh, taking something on faith, borrowing somebody else's faith, to having more of a sense directly in our own experience hmm, I've seen for myself this is possible. I've seen for myself something of the trustability of mindfulness and wisdom. So we're even more willing to engage, more willing to engage in the practices, the teachings. And then an edge for us as we engage further becomes kind of the sense of trust that whatever is arising is where the practice is directly, right in this moment. We shift from this idea that something special needs to be happening or that things have to be, uh, the mind has to be seeing things in a certain way to just like, this is what's arising. This is where the practice is. This feels like a little bit of an edge at times, this shift of trust from feeling like we have to be doing something, constructing something, creating a mind state, creating a concentration in order to see something, to simply trusting that this moment is where the practice is. This moment, this experience, and beginning to trust that 
it really doesn't matter what the experience is, what the object is, that the understandings of the Dharma are available in any moment, any moment, while cutting an apple. while flushing the toilet, while sitting down on your bed, while putting out a lamp. It's a famous poem. I didn't bring it with me. It's a beautiful poem expressing the enlightenment moment of a nun and she is sitting on a hillside. I just described the poem. I can't remember it, the words exactly, but I remember the sense of it, so I'll describe that. She's sitting on a hillside, looking out over the fields, seeing the farmers plow the fields and do their work. And she's reflecting, I've spent years doing the work of meditation, and I'm still not liberated still not free. What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And then she realizes that's not the practice. The practice is to just be present. And so she starts washing her feet and she's present for washing her feet. She's present for seeing the water flow down the hill. She's present for standing up and walking into her room. She's present while she sits down on the bed. She pushes the wick down on the lamp and the light goes out and her mind is freed in that moment. Any moment, any trivial, ordinary experience Freedom may happen. We begin to have a sense of trust in this, that we don't have to construct. We don't have to uh, change what's happening or find a better state or a better experience or get rid of some experience in order to wake up. The shift is around having wise attitude, a balanced mind around whatever is arising. So this is a a kind of a deepening of trust that We don't have to do so much. And we also find as the mindfulness gets stronger, more continuous, Maybe to surprise, start as a surprise, we may, might start to see, hmm, 
I thought the mindfulness was getting more continuous, but I'm noticing more gaps. I'm noticing more the way the mind slips out. Sometimes it even feels like the mind starts losing touch with experience. And so again, trusting the the usual mode of our trust might be, I need to engage in personal effort. We, we fall back to our personal effort being where to trust. Double down. The mind is slipping out of the present moment. Hold on to that present moment. Try to stay present for that present moment. That very activity of trying to stay present for the experience may be actually in the way. The effort itself can be in the way. The personal engagement, the personal effort can be in the way of seeing what's happening as the mind is slipping out of the present moment. And so this is another level of trust. We really have to let go at some point of the idea that I can do this, that I can engage and make myself stay present and trust in the awareness that's there and a sense of interest. We begin to trust in a sense of interest instead of kind of um, forceful effort. interest. What, what's happening there? Why is the mind slipping out? What's happening? What am I missing? What's, what's not being seen? We talked about that pretty early on. What's not being seen? And just holding that question, but not trying to force yourself to stay present for it. Trusting in the curiosity, trusting that with the uh, with it's kind of like with the intention to observe something with the intention to see what, where's that where's that mind going why is it slipping out what you know it was so continuous it was so present and suddenly it's like whew, with that um, intention or willingness to just be curious, we may not see it immediately. So patience, you know, really needing patience. And that's part of the trust too, I think. The patience to recognize that it may not be able to be seen right away. But the, the trust that Mindfulness can see it. This has been such an important part of trust in my own practice. The trust that mindfulness can go anywhere. Mindfulness can start to watch the mind slipping out of the present moment. And perhaps in that watching, not end up slipping out, but entering into a new 
terrain that is, is now unfamiliar. It's not something that we've known before. So trusting that the mindfulness and wisdom can begin to infiltrate into those areas that we have the idea it's not possible to be mindful of. Trusting in that possibility. And trusting too, as experience, is completely not what we would expect. This, this description of as the mindfulness gets a little stronger, just seeing, you know, vagueness or fuzziness or unclarity or mind slipping out of the present moment, kind of, that's not my, what we would expect. And kind of our, our thinking is, well, as mindfulness gets stronger, things get more and more clear. But not necessarily. Sometimes as mindfulness gets stronger, we experience more ambiguity, more vagueness, more diffuseness, uncertainty about what's being experienced. So sometimes we have to sit in that uncertainty and trust that that's okay. Not a problem. So we start to recognize the trustability of wise mindfulness, of right mindfulness, of this mindfulness and wisdom joined together. We can begin to recognize when it's present, when it's absent, and begin to have a sense of when our minds are trustable and when they're not. So this is the end where we start to have some discernment around choices that we make. And we've talked about this too, the, the recognition that trying to be mindful of something, trying to bring mindfulness and awareness to an experience, is not always the right choice. We see that sometimes the the mind will just spiral more deeply into reactivity when we try to do that, when we try to be mindful. And so we recognize, okay, we learn to recognize that 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 mindfulness has not got quite enough wisdom. So what's more trustable now is turning my attention to something else. We start to, to learn how to navigate our own minds, learn how to navigate when our minds are trustable, when it is trustable to just watch and witness just this, just this, just this. And when it's time to shift.
when it's time to put the attention on something else, something neutral, something restful, something that helps to collect and ground the mindfulness and find the way back to that balance. Find the way back to the trustable place. The other aspect of trust that can be hard perhaps or maybe not so comfortable to trust in this aspect of the practice. That so much of our practice unfolds in a really gradual way. We like the sudden shifts. We like then suddenly saying, oh, that's what's happening. And our mind kind of begins to think that's, that's what's going to free me. That's, I need more of those. How do I get more of those? But so much of the way this practice works is so gradual. I use the analogy of the, the, the hammer. The Buddha used that analogy. Another analogy he used was around a shipwreck. If there's a shipwreck on the parts of the ship are strewn all over the beach. The wood, the rigging, the rope, various parts of the ship are strewn all over the beach. Every day, the sun, the sand, the wind, the water wears away a little bit at those parts, the rope in particular. You know, thinking about the rope. And each day, if you went back and said, is that rope still there? Yep, still there. Next day, still there. It looks just the same as yesterday. And yet each day, a little bit of uh, disintegration is happening in that rope. It's beginning to fall apart even though you can't see the disintegration. And one day, you might come and, you know, six months, a year later, try to pick up that rope, or you may not even see the rope anymore. It may just have dissolved. Sometimes our practices like that, things can disappear, let go, release, while we're not looking at them. Seeing that in retrospect, recognizing, I think one morning I talked about recognizing the non-arising of 
Reactivity is a form of wisdom. And we recognize perhaps one day, wow, that strong pattern that used to come up so much doesn't seem to be happening anymore. Where is it? So recognizing in retrospect that something is gone, but you never saw it leaving. That recognition of how some, sometimes things can disappear when we're not looking. And really understanding that this is a direct impact of the practice. That, you know, that the knowing that the way we've been practicing has been supporting a gradual releasing of that pattern over time. But then one day recognizing it's more like it's, it arises some a little bit and we see it and it goes and it's like we're not, we're not like, you know, putting it under the microscope and like focusing on it, but just little bits over time we see it, it put it aside, see it, we put it aside and and then one day, it does just we notice that it hasn't come back in a long time. That recognition that that has happened as a result of the practice can give a great deal of trust, a great deal of confidence in the practice. Because we're no longer waiting for the big bangs. We're no longer waiting for the what, the enlightenment boom, after which everything will be wonderful. But we're much more willing to be very patient and just do this moment-to-moment work, trusting, trusting, trusting that this moment is the path. With mindfulness and wisdom, this moment is trustable and will lead us perhaps gradually perhaps not in a big bang but gradually to freedom I particularly appreciate this analogy of the rotting rope from the Buddha because it feels to me like he's acknowledging, yeah, this is, this is a gradual practice. Just keep going, keep going. You may not see it every day, but keep going. It's like the Buddhist cheerleading us. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Trust. Trust. The sense that The practice is unfolding even when we don't understand it. Even when we don't know what's happening, what's unfolding. Just that trust. And then 
we begin to recognize too that a very, very deep sense of trust is needed. As we start to recognize that our path is asking us to deeply let go and not have a clue what we're letting go into. To not know what will follow that letting go. Very deep sense of trust in that it's actually okay to let go. Our, our, our whole mode around clinging is that we are clinging because we think that what we're clinging to is somehow trustable. And the trust to let go of that thing that we think is trustable into not knowing where we're landing, that takes a deep sense of trust. Some of you, many of you may have heard Joseph's analogy if some of the way the practice unfolds. He says it's like we're skydiving, we're practicing parachuting and we're up in that plane and there's a lot of fear about jumping out of the plane but we know we got a parachute on our back and that'll be okay. So we're kind of trusting in the parachute and it's like, okay, we're going to jump out of that plane. And at first perhaps in the falling, you know, the, the, there's a little maybe sense of, maybe a little sense of fear initially as we, as we start falling, but then there's kind of like this exhilaration. It's like, wow, this is okay. This is okay. I've got this parachute. It's okay. It's trustable. I've got this parachute. It's trustable. And then at some point we recognize the parachute's not there. It's gone. Then there's a, like, whoa, fear. This is, n- this is not okay. <laughs> going to hit the ground. There's going to be a lot of pain. And, and then at some point in the practice, and this is, I think, that moment of release and letting go We recognize there's no ground. There's no ground. There's just endless falling. And so there's no control, but there's no ground. This is the kind of trust that we're asked to open to at some point. And there's probably going to be a flow in practice. Times when we're back at that, am I willing, am I just willing, am I willing to just try again? Am I willing to just, or Maybe at the point of recognizing, yep, mine's not trustable. Need to turn my attention to something else. 
And sometimes when we recognize, no, actually, all that's asked for here is just being. Just being. Nothing to do or undo. Nothing to force, nothing to want, and nothing missing. Let's sit for a few minutes. (laughs) 